Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is this a time for you yourselves to be living in your panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honoured, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why? declares the Lord Almighty. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labour of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole realm of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Good well, morning, everyone. Let me add my welcome to you this morning. It's great to be with you. And as you are now aware from the reading, we begin a new series this morning in the book of Haggai. 
for many, the book of Haggai is a small, slightly obscure book towards the end of the Old Testament. But hopefully, over the course of these next four weeks, we'll see it is a book that is loaded with truth and things that we really need to hear and to heed as a church today. So let me read to you again, just verse 7 and 8, and then I'm going to pray for God's help as we come to his word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Father in heaven, as we do come to your word now, I pray that we would give careful thought to our ways. Help us to listen carefully to your word and to all that you have to say. And help us to pay special attention, Lord, to our own hearts. And we pray, Lord, as, as your word comes to our hearts, with the help of your spirit, Lord, it would bring about a great change. Help us to be a people who live for your glory and long to see your kingdom built in this world for your name's sake. And we pray all these things for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder if you were to look back at your calendar or your diary for the last 12 months, what would it reveal? What would it tell you about your priorities in life? Every entry, every meeting, every appointment, every activity, every moment of scheduled work time, every moment of unscheduled free time, every minute spent, what would your diary say about your priorities in life? And I wonder if you could do the same thing with your bank statements, to look back over the last 12 months at your bank statements. What would they reveal about your own priorities in life, every transaction, every standing order set up, every direct debit that goes out, every penny spent, indeed, every penny saved, what would the way that you spend your money say about your priorities in life? Your calendar and your cash, your diary and your dosh, where do you invest your time and your money, and to what end do you invest them? You see, the book of Haggai is a book that challenges our priorities. It is a book that calls us to question what we're most committed to in life. Hence the call in verse 7, to give careful thought to your ways, to check your hearts, and in obedience to the word of God, to renew your commitment to building his kingdom for his glory and not our own personal dreams and pursuits. I've got a, uh, me and Hannah got a plaque on our wall back home, and I see it every time I come down the stairs in the morning, so it's just sort of the top of the stairs, and I come underneath it every morning. And the question it asks is the question really that Haggai poses in this first chapter. It simply says, what are you building? What are you building in life? What are you investing in? What are you giving your life to? And I see it there every single morning. Wellesley, what are you giving your life to this day? God's unshakable eternal kingdom or your own personal very shaky dreams that are here one minute and gone the next? 
You see, the question that Haggai asked in 520 BC is just as relevant to us today in 2017 AD. And maybe it's a question that we need to stop long enough this morning and to ask ourselves in our own hearts, what are we building? What are we building in life? Well, before we get into the detail of Haggai, let me give you a brief history, which will take us up to the 29th of August, 520 BC, which is when Haggai preached this first sermon. You see, just 20 years before this, God's people were in captivity in Babylon because of their willful and their persistent disobedience. God promised judgment and it came. In 922 BC, the United Kingdom of God was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom that became known as Israel and the southern kingdom that became known as Judah. And 200 years later, 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was flattened at the hands of the Assyrians. And then just over 100 years after that, the same fate became of the southern kingdom, Judah. This time flattened at the hand of the Babylonians, the new superpower. Culminating in the destruction of the temple, God's first temple, in 586 BC. And the rest of God's people being carted off into exile in Babylon. And there they stayed for a good 50 years. But you see, as well as promising judgment, which God did throughout the Old Testament for this persistent disobedience, God also promised a time of rescue and a time of restoration. And in 539 BC, God's people began to witness the beginnings of that restoration. You'll see another timeline on the screen here. And I know there's a lot of dates, but try and stay with me because these dates are actually important for understanding where God's people are and what's happened to them and where they are right now. So 539 BC, Cyrus, king of Persia, conquers the Babylonians. So you see, the Assyrians were the once world superpower. They were conquered by the Babylonians. Now in come the Persians, and they squash the Babylonians. And in 538 BC, Cyrus, who is king of Persia, he issues this decree allowing God's people to return from exile in Babylon to Jerusalem to rebuild their city and their temple and their lives. And in 537 BC, 50,000 Jews returned from Babylon, led by Zerubbabel, the newly appointed governor of Judah, and Joshua, the high priest, who we're introduced to in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Haggai. And in 536 BC, as you can see there on the screen, the temple foundation was laid. They're about to begin to rebuild the temple of God. But as you read in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, those are the two books that record this particular slice of Israel's history, you'll read that there's a number of obstacles to the, to the rebuilding program. And so the building program ceased. And for 16 years, the hard hats were put away. The high-vis jackets were hung up. The tools were downed. And so in 520 BC, there is still nothing more than a foundation slab in the city of Jerusalem. And so enter Haggai 
in 520 BC with a much needed message for God's people. Have a look down at verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, a subsequent king of Persia, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And what follows is the first of four sermons that Haggai gives over a 20-week period in 520 BC. And you know what? The message of this first sermon that's been read to us already this morning by Mark is actually pretty simple. Here's the message. Now is the time says Haggai. Now is the time to build the Lord's house. Can you see it there in verse 8? Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure and be honored in it. But the question for us is, what does that look like for us today? What does it look like for us to take hold of this command in chapter 1, verse 8? Because in Haggai's day, I think it was pretty obvious for them They're stood there as Haggai preaches, looking over the rubble of the old temple, and there's nothing but a foundation slab there. And so the message is an obvious one, isn't it? Take your hard hats back out the cupboard, put back on your high-vis jackets, pick up your box of tools, and get back to work building the house of the Lord. Get building God's physical temple in Jerusalem. But what does that look like for us today? What does this timeless text have to say to me and you in 2017 AD? Let me say two things that it doesn't mean before I come on to talk about what it does mean. Two ways I think that the book of Haggai has been hijacked sometimes by preachers in the past. And the first one is this. The book of Haggai has got nothing to do with church building projects. If I had a pound for every time the book of Haggai was taken to the pulpit in order to move people's hearts to give towards a building project, then I think I'd be a pretty rich man. But Haggai has got nothing to do with modern day church buildings. It's about something way, way bigger than that. And secondly, it's got nothing to do with the current Temple Mount in Jerusalem and that small piece of land over which there has been so much conflict. Haggai isn't telling us today to march into Jerusalem and flatten the mosque that currently stands on top of Temple Mount and rebuild a physical temple. He's not talking about a physical rebuild at all. He's not talking about a return to temple religion. He's talking about something so much bigger and grander than a building. So what does it mean then? What does it mean for me and you to listen and obey God's command in chapter 1, verse 8? Well, you see, the temple in the Old Testament was all about God's presence and God's glory. It was where God manifested himself, made himself known most supremely. It's why the temple was such a a beautiful, magnificent place, because it reflected the God who dwelt there. As one commentator said, the temple was hallowed be thy name in architectural terms. It was all about the glory of God, the magnificence of God Almighty. 
But of course, the temple was never meant to stand forever. The temple was only a shadow of a far greater reality to come, a reality that becomes clear in the New Testament. Firstly, in the person of Jesus, as we see in John chapter 2. Have a look at the screen. Jesus' little dialogue here, talking to to the Pharisees. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. You see, Jesus himself is the true temple. The place or the person in whom God's presence and glory is most supremely manifest, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Remember the beginning of John's gospel? The word, the eternal God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen the glory, the glory of God, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God on earth. You see, the temple was but a shadow, and Jesus is the reality. But secondly, the temple is but a shadow of the church as well today. Because you see, when Jesus left this world and ascended into heaven, he gave his spirit to his church in order that that God's presence and glory would be visible, not in a pile of bricks, but in a people in a people who were committed to the glory of God and the building of his kingdom. We are God's New Testament temple. As it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5, as you come to him, the living stone, Jesus is the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, same word, temple, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So when Haggai says, now is the time to build, get building, he's not talking about a building of stones, he's talking about a kingdom of people. He's not saying pick up your hard hats and your hive's jackets and your box of tools, he's saying pick up the word of God and faithfully and prayerfully proclaim the gospel to the people of this world as we see his kingdom built in our own hearts and in the hearts and lives of others. That's New Testament temple building. That is the application for us as we go through the rest of the sermon that Haggai is driving out all the time. God's glory and God's kingdom need to be our priorities in life. There's three points that Haggai makes in this first sermon that wrap around that call to get building. And all of them are important for us to listen to. As a church in Long Crendon, we seek to build God's kingdom here for his glory with his help. And so the first point is this, get building, it's a priority. Get building, it is a priority. Now we don't know much about Haggai. We've got no family Record. We've not got no background of his call to ministry like we did with the prophet Isaiah. We've got pretty much no insights into his personal life, but it doesn't matter 
Because the messenger isn't center stage. The message is center stage. And have a look at it in verse 2. The Lord was very angry. I've gone into Zechariah. Verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. You see, if you'd have wandered around Jerusalem then with a clipboard and pen in hand, surveying the people and asking them about this temple building project, this is what they would have said. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. They're not saying never. They're just saying not now. They're not saying we're not bothered about the temple. We're not bothered about God's kingdom. We're not bothered about God's glory. It just wasn't a priority for them at this particular moment. Oh, how true that can be of the church today. Yeah? I'll give a little bit more time to Jesus and the life of the church when my busy period at work dies down. But at the minute, I'm just absolutely packed. I've got zero capacity. But when I get through these next couple of months, you know what? I'll be all in for it then. Gospel, Jesus, church, I'll be all in. And what about the young people and the exam periods? When I get through my GCSEs, when I get through my A-levels, at the minute, I've just got no capacity for anything else. My head's full of maths and geography, and, and, and it's just all full. I can't even think. But when I get through my exams and I've had a little break, then I'll be fully committed to Jesus and to the life of the church. What about when the wedding's out the way? When the wedding's over with, when, when I've managed to do all the planning. Lily's probably in this place right now. So much to do, right? Table plans, venue, guest list to sort, table deck, so much stuff. And we're just thinking, well, maybe I'll just get through this period of life. And when I'm through this period, then I'll be able to prioritize other things. Or maybe it's the DIY project. The garden landscaping, and as soon as you get back from what you're just full with house stuff, the kitchen's all over the place, and you're telling yourself, do you know what, when I'm through this period, when the kitchen's sorted, when the garden's just as I want it, when I've got that out the way, then I'll be able to give, really give, to God's kingdom building work. Or maybe a challenge for some of the mums here especially. Maybe you're in that place where life is just frantic with kids, And you're thinking, do you know what, when I I just get through this and the children are at at school full time, then I'll really be able to commit to life of the church and to living for the glory of God and the Lord Jesus. Now, of course, there's elements of truth, isn't there, in all these things. There's seasons of life. I appreciate that, please. I'm not naive. I'm in one right now, two young children, and I know it's frantic. I know it's frantic. And these things aren't bad things, right? Work and school, they're not bad things. DIY projects, your children, weddings, good things, really good things. But the danger is that these things become the main thing. They become your total priority. They consume you while God's agenda slips quietly into the black background. And you know what? There'll always be something else. If we live with that mentality where I'll just get through this next period and then I'll commit, something else will come and snatch your time. It always will. It's not a question of timing. It is a question of priorities. As we've seen already, the Lord Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6, look what he says. It's a New Testament interpretation of Haggai chapter 1. 
but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You put God's glory and God's kingdom building at the center of your life and let that shape everything else you do. Because when God is in his rightful place, it then gives life and purpose to everything else. Put Jesus at the center and it will give you a new drive and purpose and life and commitment and zeal in all these other areas of life. And you know what? If it wasn't clear in verse 2, have a look at verse 3 and verse 4 because you cannot miss it there. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house, this house, remains a ruin? See the contrast? Decorated houses and a desolated temple. You see, they've sorted themselves out. They've done their own grand designs. They've committed to their own dreams and aspirations, but they've neglected the temple. They've neglected the glory of God. They've neglected his kingdom building work. And so Haggai says to them, it is simply not a priority for you. And I wonder if we do check our hearts appropriately this morning, whether we're much different today. We can dress it up however we want. We can make all the excuses we want, and trust me, I've used pretty much every one of them. But the facts are clear. Kingdom building for the glory of God is not always the priority it should be in our lives. Hence the call in verse 5 and again in verse 7 to check our own hearts. Haggai calls for a regular MOT of the human heart which brings us to our second point point number one get building it's a priority point number two check your hearts it's a necessity look at verse five now this is what the lord almighty says give careful thought to your ways and again in verse seven this is what the lord almighty says give careful thought to your ways That's why we've got that little plaque at the bottom of our stairs before breakfast every day. I cannot help but see it. Wellesley, this morning, what are you building? It's my heart check every single morning. What are you going to invest your life and your time and your money and your resource and your gifts in today? For whom are you building? Are your priorities in line with the Lord Jesus's? If not, Wellesley, why not? It's my heart check Every single morning. Now have a look at verse 6. Because it's not coincidence that verse 6 is sandwiched in between these two calls to check our own hearts. You've planted much, says Haggai, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. In short, Haggai says your lives are a mess. You're working ever so hard, but there is so little to show for it, like sand through your fingers. And why is this the case? Have a look at the first part of verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away, says the Lord. Now, there's a shocker, isn't it? 
the Lord blew it away. This is the Lord's doing. And why does he blow it away? Why does he seem to have removed his hand of blessing at this particular time from God's people? Well, have a look at the second half of verse 9. Why declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Why? Because we have prioritized our own dreams and aspirations and we've neglected kingdom building and the glory of God. You've planted much, but you harvested little. Why? I blew it away, says the Lord. You eat, but never have enough. Why? I blew it away, says the Lord. You drink, but never have your fill. Why? I blew it away, says the Lord. You put on clothes, but are not warm. Why? I blew it away, says the Lord. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Why? I blew them away, says the Lord. Because you busied yourself with your own house and you neglected the glory of God. And he goes on, verse 10 and 11, look. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought, says the Lord, on the fields, on the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces it produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands god withheld his blessing because the people neglected his glory i wonder as a church this morning are we awake to the loving discipline of god now we've got to be careful here we cannot draw a straight line between sin and hardship just because life is tough individually or or life as a church is tough we can't necessarily say that's because of our own sin and neglect it doesn't work like that scripture makes that clear john chapter 9 the man that is born blind however we'd be wrong to dismiss the link entirely because it is there It's there in the book of Haggai, it's there in the Old Testament, and it's there in the New Testament as well. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 to 30, and you see the same principle in operation here. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine their selves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you who are weak and ill and a number of you have fallen asleep. The Bible says there is a link, however blurry that might be, between spiritual neglects and physical hardship, and we mustn't underplay it. Therefore, if the Lord does remove his hand of blessing from the church today for a time as he did in Haggai's day it should at least cause us to stop and ask the question are we corporately as a church neglecting God's glory and God's kingdom building work get building it's a priority check your hearts it's a necessity And then thirdly, the promise. What a wonderful promise to to finish with. I am with you. It's a reality. Have a look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. 
and the people feared the Lord. It's every preacher's dream, isn't it? God's word provokes a response in the people. And the people, the remnants that came back to Jerusalem, they obeyed the Lord. The whole remnant feared the Lord. When God spoke, people listened and obeyed. And that word fear that you see there in verse 12, it's the same word that is used of God's people when they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. After God had rescued them from Egypt, that first return from exile, and God spoke in power and thundered from the top of Sinai. God's people around the perimeter trembled with fear. And do you remember how they responded? We will obey. When God spoke, they listened and they obeyed the word of the Lord. And it is the same thing we see happening here in Haggai's day. The question we must ask is, will we respond in that same way as well this morning? Verse 13, look, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. What a wonderful encouragement that must have been. All the challenges and the trials of Israel's history, and since returning to Jerusalem to rebuild, they've faced nothing but opposition all along the way. But above and beyond all the opposition and all the challenges stands this glorious promise of God I am with you, declares the Lord. We've heard that before somewhere, haven't we? End of Matthew's Gospel, Great Commission, Jesus ascends to heaven. And he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. In short, build my kingdom through the prayerful proclamation of the gospel. And the promise he leaves his disciples with, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we commit to God's kingdom building work, when we go to the lost, when we love each other and prayerfully pray the gospel into each other's lives, God will be with us. It is a promise throughout the scriptures, I will never leave you and forsake you. I am with you, declares the Lord to Haggai. You see, God does not call us to build on our own. However challenged that call might be of verse 8 in your life, when God calls us to build for his glory, he does not leave us alone. He is present by his spirit in our hearts and in our midst, enabling every act of service that is done for the glory of his name. And not only do the people obey the word of the Lord, but they are empowered by the spirit of the Lord. You see that in verse 14? This is where we finish this morning. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. God moved powerfully by his spirit. His word was proclaimed into people's lives. And after 16 years of neglect, what happens? God's people go back to work. Hard hats come out, high vis jackets go on, tools are picked up, and they build for the glory of God. And so, as God's word is preached this morning, as I pray, His Spirit, same powerful Spirit, moves in our hearts. 
I wonder whether our hearts will be stirred to do the same and say God's kingdom, God's glory above all things in life. He is supreme and there is no work in life like it and there is nothing that should come above it. Kingdom building work is a priority. And so as we finish, there's the message. Get building, it's a priority. Get building God's kingdom and not your own personal dreams. Check your hearts daily. It's a necessity. And then that wonderful promise, I am with you, it's a reality. It is the presence of God with his people that makes all of this possible. And so let me leave you for a moment just to ponder, maybe as you return to the illustration there at the beginning, I wonder how the word of God through Haggai and the work of his spirit in your hearts this morning, I wonder how that will affect how you spend your time and your money in these coming weeks and months and years. Will it result in a realignment of our priorities for the good of God's kingdom and for the glory of his name?